0: Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen and Jackson Parr. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well. Good. Jackson, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. How are you? It has been a while. Yeah, I'm doing well. Good. I've what been, have you been up to?
1: I have been down in Madison, Wisconsin, working towards a few uh, graduate degrees in water policy. That's my area of study.
0: Yeah, we had we had talked a little bit. We met up at Bearded Heart just kind of in passing and you had told me that and I was like that is the the most specific but coolest like degree I've ever heard of.
1: Yeah, it's technically two master's degrees, one in public policy, one in water resources management. Right. Um, and I learned that I, I'm one of, I think, two people that have ever done those two degrees together at mm. Madison, which seems surprising. I right. think it would, maybe it's going to be more popular in the future. Well, and you've been kind of our, our man at the
0: Capitol since you went down to keep doing that. You've been keeping an eye on how local politics are doing over there and keeping us abreast here at the Pulse. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Good. Uh, Speaking of local politics, uh, Miles, if I wanted to get into politics, if I wanted
2: to (laughs) run for office, what do I need to know right now? You need to file your candidacy papers by January 7th. Okay, That goes for like Door County Board, town, government, school boards, village, and common council down in the city. I haven't confirmed all of them yet, but there are some interesting names. I'm seeing a lot of younger names circulating papers right now for candidacy, which is great to see. I mean, they, we've had the last election cycle, and we had a lot more women run for office and um, a fair amount of more younger people, and that momentum seems to be continuing. I can't give you the names right now, but I know of like a, a half dozen people who have contacted me and said they're they're circulating papers and hoping to run that are all probably in their 30s or younger, which nice. is Awesome to see.
0: Great. And when are these elections? April 7th. Okay. For the podcast this week, we have a, just a couple kind of interesting stories. Uh, after the break, we're going to come back, you and I, Miles, and talk about an article that you wrote about whether or not there are bears and wolves in Door County. Uh, kind of a, a curious question that you had and you kind of went out to solve. Uh, but Jackson, while we have you here, you wrote a couple things that were really interesting this week. The first of which being Al Johnson's has this copyright on Goats of the Roof." I, I think. Some people know that, but not everybody knows that they actually copy... Trademark. Yeah, they trademarked Goats on the Roof. And they recently had to defend that trademark, correct?
1: Yeah, so L. Johnson's has the trademark to goats on a grass roof, which that I didn't know the, you could do that, you know, yeah, I'll kind of get into the the precedent setting of this of this case, but they've had it since 1996. And throughout the years, I know that they have kind of reached out to a few other establishments across the country to defend that trademark. Other markets, restaurants that have put goats on their own grass roofs and thus violated this trademark. There are now a few places that have licensed that trademark, So they can have goats on a grass roof uh, because they talked to L. Johnson's worked out a deal. Mm.
2: Who knew they were going to have like a secondary income source of just people licensing that? Right, the ability. It's kind of weird to think about. And I I guess my big question is: they're going to close the restaurant and just make their money off that,
0: and just do royalties. Yeah how how do you even go about trademarking something that I guess I would look at as a cultural thing? Like is how do you even go about doing that?
1: Yeah, so one of the interesting things um, that I found when I first heard that this was that this case was decided. so I guess I'll walk through it a little more chronologically. Um, there was a man, Todd Bank, who filed a petition to the US Patent and Trademark Office asking for them to cancel the trademark so essentially make it void uh, because he felt that goats on the roof were demeaning to the goats uh, and that, fact personally upset or harmed him so one of the one of the aspects of uh trademark law is you have to be personally harmed by a trademark in order to file to have it canceled Mm -hmm. so i can't i can't just go and try to cancel someone's trademark because of some arbitrary reason right but what if you think it's wrong like is that
0: what he's arguing is that does that fit under this
1: like yeah so it's it's kind of like a there's kind of a two-step thing that he's arguing saying that having goats on this roof and them being trademarked as sentient beings that is demeaning to the goats right and then i if i were to be if i were todd bank i am personally harmed because those goats are being demeaned and that makes me feel bad so that was kind of the way that he tried to navigate that um the u.s patent and trademark office they have kind of an appeals board that kind of manages these decisions before they actually go to court they rejected this argument He appealed to a federal circuit court, and the circuit court similarly rejected the argument. Uh, So that was kind of the decision that came out. And what I actually didn't know was Al Johnson's has been dealing with this particular gentleman for about 10 years. So he's through another client he had back about 10 years ago. They'd similarly filed a petition and essentially they've just never been able to get any traction with it. Um, But it has been about a decade long interaction with this gentleman. This is likely the end of it because this is an actual federal circuit court. Right. Brief could appeal. Todd Bank could appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's unlikely, I think, that they would uh, take up this case (laughs) as it doesn't have a whole lot of it's not going to push legal doctrine very far. (laughs) Um, But one thing that is interesting that's kind of getting back to your point was this was the case was kind of picked up in these kind of trademark pockets uh, some people felt that it was kind of an important decision because it did. It was kind of one of the first times in which a federal circuit court basically affirmed that you can have a trademark on living animals doing things that they always do. So these are just sure. goats that are on the grass. Yeah. And it just happens to be on a roof. It just happens to be on a roof. So this is one of the first times that a federal circuit court has said that is something that can be trademarked. We will uphold that trademark. Um there's another one that's like some business somewhere has marching ducks and that is they have a trademark on marching ducks. Is that
2: down in like Nashville? There's like a hotel or something like that where the ducks march across every single day at the same time? It could be. Yeah. I think it's something so like that. So essentially
1: you need a, in order to have a trademark, you have to show that there's some value or that someone would attach what they see in this case goats on a roof to your business and okay. therefore that that similar to like a copyright trademark has some value that you like a value you can monopolize. essentially.
0: Sure. Well, and I'd have to imagine that the trademark has to be specific, right? Because the the broader that you get, the less able you are to, to trademark something. So you can't trademark goats, right? Uh, and I'm pretty sure you probably can't trademark goats on the roof of your business right so is it is it as specific as like goats on a grass
1: roof on a restaurant you know the the trademark is not it is just goats on a grass roof so i think i think the a company that licensed that trademark for their own use um is just like a market they just are a Hmm. kind of like a grocer somewhere but
0: it's so weird to me because it's like can you Can you trademark a naturally occurring phenomenon? Because in other parts of the world, this thing just happens.
1: Yeah, I guess. Well, in other parts of the world. So this is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which is isolated to... The United States of America. Um, But that was kind of one of the interesting things, at least that a lot of these kind of under I'll call them underground trademark blogs that I that I (laughs) fell upon uh, were interested in this idea that you could trademark animals being animals uh, (laughs) as long as you can convey that there's some originality to it and it adds value to your brand. So
0: interesting. Yeah, it did. when I first learned that Al Johnson's had a trademark on goats on the roof, it had always been a really weird thing for me to try to wrap my head around because it's a naturally occurring thing in other parts of the world. It's also kind of a cultural thing too. When you think about it, like it is part of part of the Scandinavian identity to have these like grass roofs and all this kind of stuff. Um, and,
2: and it's something that Al Johnson's is celebrated for up here, right? That you know that heritage. But that's probably a good distinction. There is like they probably can't. You probably would not have any luck trademarking grass roof, you know, because right. Or it even, like, over.
0: trademarking the the server's garb. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, you probably couldn't trademark their uniform because it's just,
2: you know, it's cultural. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. really a specific thing in that way. Like, at Husby's, we had trademarked slobby barfender attire, like, t-shirt and shorts <laughs> right. and bad shoes. That was that was trademarked.
0: Uh, anything not else, at all. Anything else about uh, this story, Jackson, before we kind of
1: move on? I guess one thing I thought was just interesting, and I kind of mentioned this already, is that this has been... Like a decades-long legal battle. And the court did end up awarding Al Johnson's um, sanctions, which essentially means that uh, this gentleman who petitioned has to pay Al Johnson's legal fees. Mm. And the only way in which, typically with uh, trademark cases, that a court will do that is if the petition is frivolous, is Mm. the kind of proper word for that. Um, And essentially the court said, you petition this like three or four times. It's also completely at odds with past Court decisions. Essentially you're just being a thorn in our side. So sure. we're gonna require you to pay Al Johnson's legal fees. Hmm. So I'm 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 am interested to see if this is like the end of the Al Johnson's legal trademark era, only because it has been going on for, for about a decade. Right. So <laughs> how, time will tell.
0: How upset were you, Jackson, uh when you Came upon this story and had to like throw your arms in the air and rip up your April Fool's Day story about the same thing.
1: I know. It, yeah, it would have been. It would have been a good one. I feel like we've had a few April Fool stories that have ended up being Somewhat more real. true than yeah. we yeah. wished they would be. So this this could have been one, but now I think we can we can. I might be speaking prematurely, but maybe we can put this one away for good.
0: Right, Jackson. One more thing before we take a break. We've been talking about the mill pond for almost a year now, right? Yeah, over a year, and. Yeah. I think there's nobody better to talk about it in this room than you, because Miles and I can talk about the updates all day long, but you're actually studying this thing. So. Yeah, I guess
1: you could say with, with three people in the room, yeah. uh, maybe i <laughs> you're probably not. qualified. Top.
0: Uh Tell me a little bit, well, how we we back up? Give us kind of the one sentence recap of what this story actually is, in case people are coming upon it for the first time, and then tell me what, uh, what you think about it.
1: Yeah, so the Forestville Mill Pond down in Southern Door, essentially the county decided that it was in their best interest to drain the mill pond, so kind of open up a dam, allow the water to run out, uh, which would function to compact the sediment and nutrients at the bottom of the pond um, and also reduce the carp population. So without getting too much into the weeds, there's an issue with water quality in the mill pond and also downstream. Uh, There's a lot of nutrients in the pond There's a lot of invasive carp in the pond. The carp stir up all those nutrients and kind of create a a water quality problem that the county believes they can fix by uh, draining the pond, allowing those nutrients and sediment to compact, reduce that carp population, hopefully. And uh, then in two years, kind of close the dam, allow it to fill back up. Hopefully the water quality will be Significantly improved. Right. Um, and there's, there was a little bit of controversy when that whole process was being decided. A lot of uh, property owners in the area, you know, they didn't want to lose their pond that they recreate in, that they use, that they appreciate for two years. So there were some challenges there. But essentially, I think it was on November 1st, uh, the county did kind of open the floodgates and uh, begin this two year draining. So in early December, the county uh, went out to the mill pond, found that there were some boulders placed where The dam was open and uh, the county park superintendent, Ben Nelson, intuited that they had been placed there intentionally to do what? Essentially, his his thought was that someone who was opposed to the drawdown of the mill pond placed them there to slow down the flow of water thus preserving the mill pond as something of what it was prior to this drawdown
0: what is the date today by the way because i feel like we are doing our april fools episode with this one
1: (laughs) it's still unclear ben nelson basically said the way that these rocks which he said were about the size of bowling balls were placed they looked unnatural like they would not just naturally happen in that way sure uh and one of the consequences of that was um a lot of fish ended up getting kind of trapped in that formation next to the dam. Uh, there was a few fish that did die. They happened to be carp, which is what they're trying theoretically to yeah. a good thing <laughs> um, but maybe not the best management style. yeah sure. uh, So the county removed the boulders said that they're gonna kind of keep closer eye on on what's going on. but essentially they do have a se- I think you wrote that they have a security camera there, but it was not functioning. So yeah, uh, I guess they installed security cameras when the drawdown was happening, or was about to happen. The cameras were out of battery, per uh, mm-hmm. per Ben Nelson. So, put batteries back in the camera. There's a lot more people that are kind of aware of what's going on. Maybe there is someone who's a little bit more adamant in opposition to the drawdown than they previously thought. So, sure, they're hoping that they won't have to deal with anything th- anything like this again. But I
0: would, I would have to assume that this is a purely malicious act, right? Because there's no way that somebody's thinking, like, well, I will stop this.
2: Either they thought they could legitimately, like, somehow put a wrench in the plan to do it, or maybe they were trying to just make it look the process look bad and, and like, oh, look, here's all these dead fish. See, the county can't, can't even do this. You know, what did you get an impression from Ben on how he, what he thought the purpose might have been?
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It's unlikely that someone would, would think that placing boulders next to a dam that's open would function the same as like a man made dam structure <laughs> and thus preserve the mill pond as it was. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I would I could speculate as far as kind of the intention being making the county look bad in their in the way that they manage. Um, so it's 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 pretty uncertain, but I think the county's hoping that this will be a singular incident, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, it would have to be just like a gumming up the works kind of thing because I can't fathom somebody like really thinking like, I'm going to stop this project, in its tracks, and we're going to save the mill pond with my boulder dam.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think it took them about five hours to get it clear yeah. when they first got to the site. And I wonder notice how many hours it, to it took to put the boulders in place,
0: especially if it's like a one-man job. Who knows? All right, well, <laughs> I don't know how to come off of these stories. <laughs> um... Well, Jackson, thank you so much for uh, those really interesting articles this week. Two things I think that are 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 closer to satire than we've really touched on outside of our April issues, but really, really wild stories. Uh, We're going to take a break. And then as if this episode wasn't weird enough, we're going to come back and figure out uh, if there are bears and wolves in Door County. uh, (laughs) Because Miles got really curious and uh, hunted down the answer for us. So thank you guys so much. And uh, I'll check back in with you after the break. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks.
2: Oh my gosh no way me too
0: I just wish that there was I don't know some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something
2: well you are in luck my friend if you visit doorcountypulse.com slash shop you can find exactly those items
0: you mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and a incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online that we did Andrew that we did I I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there?
2: You can also buy some Pulse stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual Door Wedding Guide and you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster but might want to add a little something something in your gift package.
0: I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time?
2: www.doorcountypulse.com shop.
0: Okay, we are back. So, Miles, the the big question on everyone's mind is, are there bears and wolves in Door County?
2: Yeah, everyone was desperate to know. People have been asking me over the last
0: couple of weeks. It's like there's been this huge uh, public outcry. We want to get to the bottom of this. Are
2: there wolves and bears in Door County? Well, I had that question, so that means it made it into print. Yeah. Um, no, I had always kind of wondered about this. I've, I've seen some old hunting photos um, that somebody gave me once when at Husby's, um, of their family with like a bunch of their deer strung up outside of Husby's, and in that photo there was like a one random black bear, and I was like, "Was that is that real? Is that Door right. County?" And I was, I always thought like, "Well, was that just like the one random bear?" So I'd always wondered if there were really bears around, and. Started calling around, Ta- called Mike Neal from the Department of Natural Resources, and he confirmed it. Yeah, there are, at any given moment, maybe there's 10 to 20 black huh. bears wandering around somewhere in Door and Kewanee counties.
0: Interesting, because Door County is pretty small. I mean, when you get into the peninsula, it's small. yeah. Is there a breakdown between bears and wolves in the
2: peninsula and below the peninsula? Are we finding most of them below? Well, it, it's not. So it's not a hard and fast number, right? So when, when I talk to different people, they're like, yeah, they're they're definitely here. How could they'll see the tracks once in a while or they'll be spotted. Uh, in 2018, there was a bear black bear spotted by the kangaroo lake preserve uh, right down the road from us. There are occasionally bears that they track. They have them on collars. And it, actually, Mike Neal told me. They tracked one from the UP and it would go and edit, it made its way down it as like Marinette. Then it was in Green Bay. Then it was in Swamico, And then it was over in Kewanee. And then it was back in Green Bay. And then it was in Bailey's Harbor up to Gills Rock. Then back in Kewanee and back, went back and forth a few times and which is just amazing to think of how many miles these animals travel just wandering around finding food and that they can wander that far and not that many people even spot them
0: right yeah that is weird to think about because i guess you you imagine that animals kind of stick around where they're born outside of like migratory animals yeah but to think that one like would travel that far even like thinking of a bear like Traveling the peninsula is weird. Yeah, and, and I'd have to imagine that these bear sightings are probably more common in the winter, right? Because they're coming from other areas and they're able to get onto the peninsula across the bay, rather than like in the summer. There's only really one way to get on the peninsula. Right.
2: So yeah, another animal that we looked at was wolves, and that that one was kind of sparked because my wife, after we moved back home, she's at home, works from the house, and one day she sent me a picture, and it was like these two wolf-looking animals in the backyard. She's like. Uh, I think there are wolves out of a backdoor. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a coyote, but I'm no expert. So I, I showed it to a couple of buddies and they're like, no, that's just a large, really scary looking coyote. But that got me thinking, like, are, should she actually even think there might be one? And sure enough, there there are a few, same kind of story where they say there there might be anywhere from like 10 to 20 wolves in the county at any one point, but not like a wolf pack. There's no packs that hmm. have made Door County their home. But when they come over, it's usually over the ice. Um, yeah. And wolves are like, constant travelers, I guess. they'll they'll go like they'll just travel like 1600 miles just looking for food. They're going out seeking for food, where some animals kind of like sit and wait for the food to come to them. But when you get to the wintertime, especially some of the harsh winters we've had the past couple of years, you just see the animals travel more desperate to find food. And and now there's not a ton of habitat for any of them to like set up shop in Door County because they're they're both animals that are they're shy. They don't want to be around humans. I was kind of surprised. I didn't think there would be a lot of human attacks with bears and wolves, but actually talking to some experts from the Western Wildlife Foundation, there's only been like three. In a given year, there might be three humans killed in large carnivore attacks in all of North America. So you're talking Mm -hmm. grizzly bears, black bears, wolves, bobcats, all of them, only three. And of those three, it's usually at least two of those three are grizzly bears out in very remote areas, usually with hunters. Right. It's really rare for humans to be attacked by them, but we all kind of have a little fear of it. No, yeah. Nobody wants to run into a bear in the woods.
0: Well, and it's like, that That number's not super surprising because think about how many times people actually encounter these animals. It's yeah. probably a, a much smaller number than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably more conditioned to think that you're going to run into a bear when you're camping and stuff because of, like, media. Yeah. Like movies and cartoons and stuff make you think that, like, if you're camping in the park, you know, got to put your food up or a bear is going to come into your right. campsite, which can happen. But I mean, the amount of times
2: that that probably does happen is very small. I was right? camping in the park last year and it was a raccoon. But I yeah. thought for a moment, I'm like, oh no, that's a bear outside my I know. Like, when I shouldn't have left my food on the ground. I'm when you're warm. partying and
0: you, you look outside and you see it, they can look bigger than they are. Yeah. <laughs> going back to what I said earlier, it, you know, Door County is very small, especially up in the peninsula. You would expect if there were animals like that up here, that there's only a couple places that they would be. And most of those places are pretty well trafficked. Am am I wrong in that way? I know that there's a ton of natural area up here, but I feel like most of it is pretty accessible.
2: Yeah. So I talked to Greg Fuzzy Sundstrom. He's a hunter. And back in 1987, with a bow, he shot a black bear in Mud Lake uh, Natural Area, just north of Bailey's Harbor. And that is a big kind of swampy expanse. And so if there's any place that you'd think, oh, where would a bear maybe be? It's because there's not a lot of roads that crisscross that property. So there's just a larger expanse that they could kind of hunker down and and hide out. His dad actually shot one in the same area like two years later. Fuzzy thought he might have been the first guy to legally hunt a bear up here. Wasn't positive on that. Uh, The one he shot was about 287 pounds, probably about three years old. There also, Mike Neal told me that they did catch a bear at just north of Bailey's Harbor in in the year 2000. Um, That bear was about 450 pounds. And they ended up having to euthanize that bear because it was, it had three times come in close encounters with humans. In that case, it was like on somebody's back porch rummaging for food. And when it gets, when a bear seems to get comfortable with humans, then if they run into that often, they'll put that bear down. All the right. all the meat went to Paul's Pantry in Green Bay. But the fear there is if they get familiar with humans, they're not really going to attack. And in most cases, because they are still pretty scared of human beings, but even like gentle pawing from a black bear they're they're very huge very strong yeah. animals they might not be trying to kill you but they just might kill you right. because they're just they don't know their own strength kind of like me yeah. Yeah. Exactly like you. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I don't know how much you you dug into this side of things, but uh, if there's, you know, 10 and, and I'll just, well, we can talk about wolves and bears at the same time. We'll just think of them as this collective animal. If, if there's, you know, anywhere from five to 10 at any given time, is that a situation where you've got um, maybe a couple bears who would come over and then like reproduced in the county or is this like all of these bears are probably transient bears? Uh,
2: Those bears probably are more like probably more likely to kind of live here or at least live in this section of like northeast Wisconsin traveling up and down kind of the coastline or like that one that came down from the UP and just kind of travels back and forth. Wolves are definitely from the folks I talk to definitely more transient where it's probably the case where it's almost always going to be a male wolf and it's been kicked out of the pack. So it's a lone wolf and A lot of times when they find them, they've come over the ice. In fact, they've actually found a couple like on the shoreline as they were coming over. There's like a a couple different wolves. And that was, um, there was a time where they were two together and they thought that was very strange because usually wolves, they'll either be in a pack or they'll be on their own. There was a wolf spotted, a gray wolf spotted in... Ellison Bay during hunting season earlier this year confirmed there have been hunters who shot wolves by accident and thought they were large coyote and then called the DNR and said, uh, I think I might have shot a wolf. And sure enough, it, it was hmm. a lot of people report seeing them probably for every 10 that I reported less than one is an actual wolf. It's probably a, a coyote or something. And the tracks are distinctly different. Like a coyote, a wolf is about twice the size yeah. of a coyote, and the tracks are about twice the size. Do you, do you have any numbers on how many coyotes are in Door County? I, I don't, but there's a lot. I yeah, mean, that's I, what I think. There's a, there's a ton behind my house. <laughs> that's where they it, all live. The, the, when I first moved into our, our house, that very first night, we heard them going nuts, and they, it sounded like they were right outside our bedroom window, like right. a pack of hyenas. They had found a turkey or something and just went crazy. Have you ever seen
0: wolves at the zoo? I have not. I saw wolves at the zoo for the first time maybe last year. They are a lot bigger than you think. Yeah. Like you cannot <laughs> mistake a wolf for a dog. Right. Because think of the biggest dog you've ever seen and then like double it. They are yeah. humongous. Like they come up to your chest just standing. Hmm. So like if you've never seen a wolf, I can see where you might think that a coyote is a wolf. But like the first time you see a wolf, it's pretty
2: yeah uh, unmistakable. <laughs> um The wolves, and in, interestingly enough, Wisconsin—they've made it. Both these animals have made a huge comeback. The wolves now number about a thousand, and in about 1984-85, they numbered 14 in the state of Wisconsin. So they've—they've they've really come back. The black bear, kind of in that same time frame, once numbered about 9,000. Now they're up to about 29,000 in Wisconsin as a whole. So it's kind of cool to see that they—we actually have these animals around again. But the lack of habitat for them, even in like sparsely populated places like Vilas County in northern Wisconsin, they will find black bears in the culvert because that's where they go to try and hide out and hibernate because they think it's like a, some sort of natural cave. And then they'll, those bears will get drowned in the spring when all the snow melts hmm. and they're just hibernating. And then the culvert fills kind of sad, um, but no reports of that in Door County. But like you said, like there's not a lot of wide ranging habitat here by the nature of it being a peninsula. And then just like, you know, there's the two main highways through it. So there's only like little pockets where you could actually like disappear back into the woods. Right. You know, before you even started
0: this article, you, I could have probably made it a little bit easier for you if you had asked me if there are any bears in Door County. Because I know of at least two that live here year round. And that's Yogi Bear <laughs> and uh, his best friend down at Jellystone.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was. I, sh- I should have asked
0: you. Yeah, I had to, okay. I didn't know that Jellystone Parks were a real thing. Number one, and then imagine my surprise when not only did I discover they were real, but that the first one was here in Door County.
2: Yeah, that was surprising too. Jim Lundstrom did that story for us last. Maybe was that last summer, two summers ago. Yeah, but yeah, I was really surprised by that too. I thought that was like a chain that I was like, how would a Door County place be the one that got the right to use like this cartoon character? But right. Fair enough.
0: Yeah. And and you never hear about it outside of that. with this well, and maybe I'm skewed because like I grew up watching my dad's cartoons and like I was an early adopter of Cartoon Network back when all they had was Hanna-Barbera stuff like in the yeah. first year. So I saw a ton of Hanna-Barbera cartoons and Yogi Bear included. So like I maybe I'm kind of the outlier in that I know about <laughs> Yogi Bear. So maybe it's more weird for me in that way. Um, one last thing before we kind of wrap up. Uh, I just have to share this story because it's embarrassing for my wife. And every time that we talk about like animals coming over, I think about this. The DNR opened up like special hunting permits on one of the islands up here a couple years ago. And I told her about it and she was like, are there really that many deer on the island? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I can't believe that that many would just like swim over there. And I was like, you know, they probably walk in the winter. That's probably how they get there. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. So sorry, Victoria, for sharing that story. But it always makes me laugh.
2: Well, when you talk about that, like the deer on those islands or when we're talking about wolves, it is pretty remarkable, like how these animals will travel. And just like you you think of that bay as impassable except for like when Ryan Heisey and Jeff Lutzey and those guys walk across the bay a couple of years ago to Marinette. But just to think of animals just venturing across that expanse and, and coming from so far away, it's it's pretty amazing what what some of these animals are capable of and, and how much ground they can cover. Right. And, you know,
0: it's so funny because like when, when you first started talking about this, I feel like our weird animal brains are so silly sometimes and that you're like, are there deers and wolves in kind I'm of like, yeah, I wonder how they would get here, though. It probably, it'd have to come up like over the bridge, right? (laughs) Uh, But then it's like, no, that's probably the least likely scenario for I'm right. getting yeah here. but when you think that you're like oh there's 10 bear there's 10 bears here at any given time that probably means that two bears came over the bridge and then reproduced and created
2: but it's like that is the least likely scenario to happen but it's the first one that our weird brains go to what actually makes me think about the bear that Mike Neal was telling me that would like go to Ellison Bay and then back to Kiwani and then back up to Ellison Bay um that means that it must have either it walked across the bridge and nobody noticed this bear just kind of nonchalantly going across the, the bridge Ridge, or it went across when the when the when Sturgeon Bay was frozen and it could travel across, right? Um, which is kind of cool to think about. Now, what if it went across and then it was like, I'm going to go back down south? Oh shoot, the water's open now. Now right. do I do? Well, and we we can't be. Or maybe bears can swim, and I don't know. I might be an idiot. Yeah, bears can definitely swim. They hunt salmon, but they're usually standing in a river when they do that. Yeah, they? but it's not like that's the only place that they can do it.
0: They can swim for sure. All right,
2: listeners, I need to really educate myself more. Have on, you ever seen a polar bear at the zoo? Bears. All they do is swim. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm an idiot.
0: Well, the other thing, too, I mean, we're being really ignorant of bears in general. This bear that goes from the tip to the base every year, I mean, that, he might just have a boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. He might live here year round. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast and you're a bear, send us an email and we'll, uh, we'll clarify. Next Fill us week. in. Yeah. Well, Miles, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. You bet. Thanks, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.